Welcome to The How of Business with David Begin and Henry Lopez, the podcast that offers practical advice and tips on how to run and grow your small business. The How of Business helps aspiring entrepreneurs and small business owners achieve their definition of success and overcome challenges that get in their way. This podcast series focuses on the everyday common business issues, challenges, and opportunities that face the small business owner. So here now are your hosts of The How of Business, David and Henry. Welcome to this episode of The How of Business. This is Henry Lopez, and I have with me today John Colley. John, welcome to the show. It's great to be here, Henry. Thank you very much for inviting me on. I'm very, very excited to be here. I'm excited to have you as well, all the way from uh, the UK. Uh, John is an entrepreneur, an online instructor, a marketer, a speaker, a podcaster, a blogger. Probably easier to have listed what he's not or what he hasn't done. <laughs> Brilliant background, lots of experience. He's a former British Army officer and international investment banker. He has over 30 years of experience as an advisor, a coach, a teacher. We'll get into that history here a bit in this episode. His clients have included everything from multi-billion dollar corporations as well as small startups and working with entrepreneurs. He's worked everywhere from the United States, across Europe and the Far East. He's held director and managing director positions in global investment banks as well as boutique firms. He's a highly successful online instructor, which I, I think is 27,000 students or so now. I think it's, I think it's 37,000 oh, is 37. the latest number. Oh my gosh, yes. I'm way off. 37,000 <laughs> students on Udemy and other platforms. He's also the host of a popular podcast, one of my favorites, the Online Courses Insider Podcast. We'll chat about that and where he's at with that podcast because you've had a couple of them. Uh, John lives with his wife in a 14th century medieval hall house in Salisbury, Wilshire, is how I would pronounce it. Uh, yes, just about. That'll do. Just about. Absolutely close fine. enough. <laughs> North of uh, Southampton in that area of England there. He has a border collie named Henry. That's not me. The best uh, last I checked. Named after you, Henry, Named in your honor. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, he loves wine, first edition books. I saw quite a collection of them behind him when we first got on, and he was uh, broadcasting video, uh, first edition books, that is. Vintage toys, and he likes Legos also, which I'm a big fan of. So in this episode, we're going to chat a bit about John's entrepreneurial journey, which is a fascinating one, his advice and tips for businesses, startup advice. He's got a lot of experience with helping uh, people fund their startups of all sizes, marketing, and of course, what he does with his online training courses. We're going to touch on all of that. It's going to be a rambling, very good conversation. I'm excited about this. John Colley, welcome to the show. It's wonderful to be here. Thank you for that amazing introduction. I shall, I shall have to hire you as my introducer from now on. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, sir. All right, well, let's, let's start at the beginning. As I was doing the research, you have what I would call that, that classic British, British education, if you will, starting from prep school all the way through an MBA. So, so tell us about that. Was that always your, going to be your track? Was that what your parents demanded uh, of you? How did that happen? No, sort of, I, I think one stumbled into the other. I mean, I, um, I come from an army family, so we were always traveling around. And so going to boarding school very early on was the, the best way to give me a sort of stable education, because otherwise we were changing schools every couple of years. Um, I went to Stonyhurst up in Lancashire because my prep school headmaster told my father I needed the Jesuit discipline um, and I was fortunate enough to um, to pass the exams and get into Cambridge University which I thoroughly enjoyed um, following that uh, I had already had always had a, a passion for the army and um, I went straight into the army so that that meant going to Sandhurst which is your equivalent to West Point so I did my uh, my course there um, it, it once is quite enough at Sandhurst. It's um, it's <laughs> it's not something, not not really a holiday camp. I think, fair to say. So I, th I then spent this the next five years in the army. Came out of that um, and went into investment banking, aged uh, 27. Um, and then in the course of the first few years of that, um, I also did an MBA at Cass Business School in London. Um, and um, then since then, I've been I've worked for, um, well, Horgebet, which was owned by Security Pacific at one point. Uh, I've worked for Westdeutsche Landesbank um, 
and I've worked for Societe Generale, but I worked for the uh, the US technology part of that. And then in 2001, uh, with a, a partner, I set up um, uh, a, a boutique called Pamal Capital. Um, and, and then I migrated from that to another one, uh, which actually we've, we've just wound the partnership up on, uh, which was IAF Capital. So at the moment, I'm, I'm actually, funny enough, I'm back uh, doing some some informal work with my my friends at Pall Mall, um, and you know, sort of looking for the next challenge. But the the investment banking market is picking up quite aggressively. But I also um, I love teaching and I love uh, everything online, as you can probably hear from my podcasting and all the rest of it. So the last few years, I've also built the my online education business, um, mostly um, on Udemy. Uh, although I do have courses on Teachable and Thinkific and various other platforms. So I've been sort of blending the two, and and it's it's quite difficult to juggle sometimes. But uh, but so I've I've covered covered quite quite a lot of things. And and what do you do for a living? Well, I mean, you know, hell, all sorts of things. <laughs> <laughs> but if somebody asks you in the American way, what do you do for a living? What do you usually say these days? I I, I mean, funnily enough, since the uh, the crash, um, being an investment banker is not terribly fashionable. So um, I'll I, sometimes I'll, I'll call myself a mediapreneur because I'm I'm such a prolific content creator. Okay. Um, I'm definitely an entrepreneur, and everything I do is is entrepreneurial. Um, I'm much happier working um, with people rather than in big organisations. Although uh, that may change, you never know what comes around the corner. So entrepreneur, investment banker, mediapreneur, you know, jack of all trades, master of some. Love it, love it. All right, I want to go back a bit, though. The military path obviously was influenced by your upbringing, your 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 dad. But uh, what attracted you to that early on in life? Um, I think it was it was the just the, you know it was just part of my life, and actually, um, you know, I enjoyed so many aspects of it that I couldn't imagine really doing anything else. And of course, it wasn't until I was you know into my twenties when I saw the potential for other opportunities that I began to to reassess it. But um, but you know, it's it's as a junior officer, it's fantastic fun. It's very outdoors. It's very active. Um, soldiers are amazing. Um, you know, you work very hard. You play very hard. So it's uh, what's not to like as a young man. I think it, I think it gets more corporate and more bureaucratic as you get more senior. But I left as a captain, so um, I never really got to that stage. But what about the 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 control and the structure and the rigidity of it compared to your entrepreneurial spirit? Was that ever something that bothered you? Well, funnily enough, um, you know, it's it's control and structure within a framework. Um, but the framework has got masses of um, flexibility and capability for initiative, because like your, um, you know, like the U.S. Army, you know, officers are taught and indeed, you know, um, NCOs are taught to think on their feet. So, yes, you have a hierarchy and you have a structure, but you do in a you do in a corporate, you know, you've got to be respectful to the managing director just as you have to be to the general. But but within that, you know, there's masses of scope for organizing things, for um, going off on adventurous training. I mean, actually, at one stage, I was running a business to raise money for my squadron funds in Germany. You know, actually, it turned out to be quite a successful little business. And, you know, I was getting these audit reports from... Um, from the, the the other officers who had to audit my accounts, not because there was anything wrong with them, but I was making, I was only supposed to make 10% profit, but I just, you know, I was making more and more and more because I was importing all sorts of things in from the UK out to Germany and selling them around the the um, other regiments in our, in the army. So, you know, the, the Virgin Regiment regimental funds had a couple of thousand Deutschmarks in the funds. I, at one stage, had about 40,000 Deutschmarks in the funds. So um, there was there was a considerable transfer, which just, it was great because we it meant that we had um, lots of money to, you know, spend on welfare issues and all the rest of it never made a penny for myself that was not the object of the exercise but it it i sort of fell into it and it just sort of grew exponentially so um you know there you are you, you there's opportunity everywhere you look yeah no wonderful you had plenty of opportunity to be creative and to uh, be challenged and to take on new adventures idea then one of the things that stood out also in your mba you won the prize for the best dissertation why did you win um, it was actually a very fortunate um, 
combination of events. One, you had to do it with a group of people. And I met a very good friend of mine. He's still a very good friend, a, a chap called Stephen Mohan, who was also another uh, former army officer. And he and I decided we'd be a team of two, which was the, which is the minimum size they'd have allowed. So I had a very very good partner, and we worked really well together. And that's that's a core um, a core aspect of any project. And I was fortunate to know a chap who had been a very successful entrepreneur himself and had started up a, a very well known wines business in the UK. And he basically let us do a case study and, and strategic review on his business. So we were given uh, inside access to this multi-million pound uh, private company. And, you know, he spent hours with us, you know, talking over things, which gave us fantastic material for a really original, you know, uh, dissertation. So we were extremely fortunate with that. And, and obviously, um, very honoured to be awarded the prize. Yeah. So speaking of partners, have you since uh, since then, do you work better with a partner by yourself, uh, just a partnership of two? What what works best for you and why? Um, no, I, I like I like groups of people. I mean, I'm perfectly happy working on my own. Um, I'm, you know, fairly sort of outgoing and get gregarious. And, and one of the things the army teaches you is actually to get on with anybody. Because, um, you know, you can get on with a general, but you can also get on with a private soldier. And and that range of, of um, skills is quite valuable, particularly in business. Um, so I'm I'm happy in in either. I mean, I was running a team of people, um, an SG Cowan doing IT services M and A across Europe. That was good fun. And it, the last few years, I've been running my education business Solus. So you know, I'm I'm happy either way. But I do enjoy the interaction of working with people, and particularly enjoy meeting and listening and working with entrepreneurs who really excite me as a, a category of people got it so is teaching what you enjoy doing the most what you love the most of everything that you do today funnily enough i think i think i enjoy doing deals the most because they can be the most challenging what i what i get out of um the courses is and this may sound um a, a little self self-serving i don't want it to sound like that but i really enjoy being able to share the knowledge that i've built up over many years and know that it's actually easily deliverable in a form that other people can benefit from. And, and I'm, I've got students in 175 countries, many of whom have no chance of having access to the education I've been very fortunate to be able to benefit from. And I think education and information is so empowering that being able to share this, because I've given um, thousands and thousands of free coupons out to my courses, and I just regard that as an amazingly powerful thing for somebody to be able to do, because you're you're actually sharing knowledge and information on a global basis, and that can only make uh, things better wherever we are. Yeah. No, I, I can feel that passion and it comes through mm. in your materials and in how you go about sharing knowledge. It's it's evident and we'll talk more about that. But let's get into a bit of that knowledge and let's start with starting a business. You've got a lot of experience there, helping people do that, do it yourself. And particularly, you've done a lot of sustainable online businesses, as you call it. So what is a sustainable online business? What are What are the key components that have to be there for it to be a sustainable online business? I think I think the the key thing more than anything is it's got to be scalable. It has to be a business that you can set up and it can work when you're not there. So, for example, uh, we're downsizing at the moment, and I'm uh, actually eBaying quite a number of my toys and my books. That is not a sustainable business. That is a very time intensive, you know, scale limiting. Uh, business. So yes, um, if you could source a whole load of, of product and it was all the same and you could host it, you know, or, or send it to a drop shipper and then you mark, then you've got a sustainable business, you know, or I mean, Amazon FBA is another example. But, you know, with courses, the great thing about online courses is you create them once and then you sell them many times and, and all you have to do is, is answer student questions and that becomes sustainable. So you have to work away work out a way of taking yourself out of the business so that you can work on the business, not in the business. And if you are spending every day and every minute of every day just trying to keep the business working, then actually that's not sustainable. So I was going to ask you one of the common mistakes you see. Is that is that the big one that people build the business, the business model around them and them having to deliver whatever it might be, like you said, a limited product or themselves as a service? Is that the common mistake you see or what else do you see? 
Yeah, I mean, that's certainly um, one of them. Often you see people, you know, worrying about, um, you know, profits before they've actually got revenues, which, you know, you, you actually need to sell something before you start investing a whole load of money in marketing and everything else. I think uh, very often people think they have a great idea and they don't try and validate it before they've dived in and spent three months doing it. It is a question of, you know, having a a clear idea of how you're going to actually run your business, how, how you, how you, you know, what your idea is, is there a customer? Are you solving a problem? How are you going to create your product or service? Is that scalable? How are you going to get it to your customer? What channels are you dealing with? How are you going to persuade them to buy it? So you have to be a good salesperson and make sure it addresses their pain and problem and they understand that. And then once you've done that, how are you going to sell it to a hundred customers? And very often that joined up thinking doesn't happen. People get so excited or so sometimes just overwhelmed mm -hmm. that they lose track of, of having a proper plan and a proper process. And John, that's one of the great things about an online business is it allows you to take that iterative approach to get a, you know, what some people call a minimum viable product out, something out there, start generating revenues and then grow from there, right? That's that's one of the beauties of an online business, a virtual business. Yeah, and and of course, with the internet, it's it's globally scalable, which is mm -hmm. the thing I particularly like about it. I mean, you literally have, you know, several billion people you can sell to. Whereas if uh, I live in a little village down in Wiltshire in England, which is terribly pretty, but uh, at the end of the day, um, the local business in this area is actually you know quite small. So trying to sell them startup funding courses. You know, I have no market, but I go on. I go online, and I can be selling courses to guys in California, and I can be selling courses to guys in India at the same time. I mean, it's it's, it's phenomenal. Yeah, the reach is is phenomenal. Mm. All right, let's talk about startup funding, and and keep in mind our audience is very small business owners. So the individual, you know, shop or retail outlet or one unit of a restaurant franchise. We're talking about typically revenues under 10 million. So I might need 100,000 to a million dollars, let's say, to get started. So that's kind of the range we're talking in. But I think the philosophies and the approaches, regardless of the amount, are somewhat similar. But tell me about that. Where, where should someone start in planning to seek funding for their business? My first piece of advice is if you can somehow bootstrap it, that is always better. If you can actually get your business up and running, maybe by pre-selling something, um, maybe by um, sticking some stuff on credit cards for the first few months, not without its own risks. You know, if you can maybe friends and family who will give you a loan as opposed to take equity, any of these early stage things, basically any way that you can think of to fund your business without giving away equity and without putting yourself in a position where you'll have to surrender equity if you can't repay the, de repay the debt is Far, first and foremost, um, above all, better than anything. Borrowing money from the bank is a possibility. It does depend on the uh, economic circumstances at the time, but be very careful about, you know, you don't want to give personal guarantees. You don't want to um, give them mortgages over properties, particularly your own house. Um, I often say to entrepreneurs, you know, if you can't sleep at night because you're worried that if the business goes bust, you'll lose your, you know, your family home, then, you know, you shouldn't have, you know, you shouldn't be doing the business this way. Okay, good good litmus test there. Good advice. Mm. So when you're helping, I know you've got a couple projects now, when you're helping mm. people seek that funding, what what is it that you're preparing that company for? What do they have to have in place to even have an opportunity to get funding? Okay, the, the, the different steps of funding uh, reflect the different stages of risk that a business faces. And when they start up, really, it's about, you know, product concept. Do they have a product that will work? This is even before somebody might buy it. So will, does the product work? This might be a piece of software. This might be a mechanical gadget, whatever it is. Can they build the product? Will it work? Will it do what it says on the tin? Then they actually have to find a customer. And they have to find a customer who's prepared to pay for the product or service. Once they've done that, they actually need to, because one customer doesn't prove it, but it does help. Once they've got a small group of customers, then they have to start to scale the business. So very early stage, when you're talking to, you know, very early startups or angels, it's really about taking product risk. And it's about taking 
you know, market or customer risk? Is is there actually a customer for this business? Once you've proven that the the product works, there is a customer, he's prepared to pay and you've got a small group of them, then you're really, you're into, is the market big enough and can you grow it? So you're then really talking about scaling, scaling the business and, and it's a different type of risk. So in the very early stages, you're really talking to angel investors and then you're talking to venture capitals. And the classic um, rounds are, are seed investment, which can be as little as a hundred thousand when you start up with a you know the seed of the idea. Then you talk to angels who will typically whatever they put in, they will typically look for twenty five to thirty percent or thirty five percent of your equity, so a quarter to a third of the equity. So it's very very expensive money that early on, which is why I say try to avoid it if you can. And then you get on to the venture capitalists, and and each round is is given another letter. So you have a Series A, Series B, Series C, Series D, etc., and on you go. So you know, di- different types of investors have different appetites for risk, but the venture capitalists, for the most part, won't invest in very early stage businesses until they've proven the product or they've proven the customer until they've demonstrated that there's more than one customer, i.e. there is a market out there for the product, then they come in. And what role in your experience does the the team, uh, me and my team, play in the deci- decision factor? Totally, critically, the most important role. Because at the end of the day, um, however clever the gadget, the investors are backing the ability of the guys to execute. So you have to have a... a, a team that comes across as being experienced, competent, proficient, rock solid. And you've really got to work really hard with them to make sure they know how to present properly and so to make sure they come across as being this fantastic, you know, high quality experienced team. Okay. So what's if you could give me one takeaway for now for a very small business who's not going to have access to venture capital probably because the growth potential isn't there with that type of a business. Uh, maybe uh, certainly some angels, especially private placement, uh, someone who you know, someone you know through your network. That's certainly a possibility for a lot of very small businesses. But in your your experience, what's the takeaway from that whole process that a small uh, entrepreneur can still apply in the area of seeking funds? I mean, a lot of this stuff still applies, the making sure you have something that works, uh, that you've maybe tested somehow, that there's actually a customer out there for this thing. The exponential component maybe isn't there because the business I'm gonna start is not gonna necessarily grow into a multinational company, but is there a takeaway or two that you can share with that listener? Yeah, the first thing to say is, for heaven's sake, make sure you're on top of your numbers. And so you really do need a little financial model which covers your profit and loss, your balance sheet and cash flow, and that you know exactly which is which. When you get on top of your numbers, make sure that you are looking very carefully at your revenue generation. So you do everything you can to make your your sales and your revenue generation as efficient as possible. Look very hard at your cost line and be really, really tough on yourself to make sure that you get the the absolute best out of the costs that you're incurring. Don't forget that the most important cost line, the one that you always have to pay is the tax man. So whatever your cash flow is, never get yourself into a situation where you can't pay your taxes because that will be the death of your business. Putting that aside, I'd like to read a little uh, paragraph, actually, which I, I came across fairly recently, which I think sums up the approach you need to take when you come and talk to an investor. And this actually was on the website of a, of a venture capital firm. They say, we look for credible, passionate and ambitious teams who are building companies with a compelling value proposition. So team, compelling value proposition. The proposition needs to be based on unique and protectable technology. For that means, make sure you have a product or a service that is very difficult for your competitors to copy because you really want to be, be standing out. And ideally, it says, addresses a, a very important problem in a very large market. For that, you have to remember with anything you're selling, you need to solve somebody's pain or problem. So if you've got a, a very nice uh, information product, which gives general information, 
information about, I don't know, the craters on the moon, unless uh, maybe Elon, uh, Elon Musk would find it useful because he's probably got one of his rockets going out there. <laughs> but, but otherwise, you're not really solving a pain or a problem. And by addressing a large market, obviously, you give yourself the upside potential. So try to avoid addressing a pain or a problem which is so small that you'll never actually you know be able to scale your business and then they finally say and you'll need to have a clear and milestone driven plan for building value so you need to have a very clear idea of where you're going to take your business and i think that sums it up really neatly a lot of great takeaways there thank you for sharing that uh, so much of that that resonates and i'll be listening back to it and making notes but it'll be in the show notes page as well uh, a couple of key things that stood out, but the point about essentially differentiation, that's a mistake that a lot of small business owners makes. I have made it myself in that in thinking that, well, I'll just have a, a better service or a better looking place. So we, we, we kid ourselves about how unique our offering is and we move forward anyway. And that's such a big takeaway. Uh, but then managing the numbers, controlling numbers, it's amazing to me how many small business clients I work with who just don't know their numbers and it's it's essential uh, so thanks for sharing that john all right i want to take a turn into marketing because you also have tremendous expertise there mm -hmm. and again looking at it from a small business owner's perspective what's been your observation what are people not doing well where should a small business owner start with this whole realm of marketing the, the first thing to say about marketing is I think you guys in the States are actually, and, and small business entrepreneurs in the States are much more aware of the power of online marketing than in my experience, people are here in the UK. Um, so the idea of having a, you know, a Facebook page, the idea, obviously, I mean, websites are taken for granted now, but, but, you know, having some other places where people can find you, but above all, having a mailing list and, you know, the one thing that if you if this is the only thing you do, um, start collecting uh, email names and email addresses. And if necessary, have a clipboard in the shop or wherever you're working. You, you know, you can yes, you can have signups um, online and all the rest of it. But, you know, try to get the name um, and the email address of customers or prospective customers, you know, w when you come across them. And, and then you can then communicate to them. The, the, the classic six steps are find me, know me, like me, trust me, pay me, evangelize me. And by getting somebody's email address and starting to send them emails and starting to develop your relationship with them through email, then you can convert them through that, that classic process. Yeah, fantastic. What What's your thought on the frequency of mailings? Um, I think if you're a a small business, then um, not less than once a month, and maybe just send out an end of month newsletter. And I would say almost certainly not more than once a week. And so maybe once every other week is fine. Maybe when you start off, um, you send them, it's perfectly acceptable maybe to send them uh, three emails in quick succession, maybe every other day, just introducing yourself, maybe giving them an offer, not trying to sell them anything, but maybe giving them some sort of free, free value or something, something to build trust and build um, confidence and build interest. And, and then you can step it out. But also in that first email, Tell them what to, you're, you're, you're going to do. Tell them what to, they can expect from you. So you can say, look, you know, you're going to now get my monthly newsletter. And if I've got something really exciting to tell you about, I'll obviously uh, send you a, an email as well. So you're going to get two to three emails from me a month. And then they know what to, to expect. But I think if you get an email every day from somebody for 28 days, unless they sign up to that, <laughs> they'll, they'll probably find it's a bit much. Okay, great, great, great advice there. Um, in fact, your point about having the physical sign-up, we do that at one of my businesses as a restaurant. So obviously I have people coming into the restaurant and we do just that. And that's been, we've built a 5,000 email list and uh, done it mostly by that in-shop physical here, put your name and an email address down if you want to join our fan club. That's yeah. been the most yeah. effective thing. Yeah, or collect, or collect business cards. Yeah, you know, that's another thing. You know, if 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 you if it's an appropriate thing, I mean, with restaurants, very often, if particularly if a lot of business customers in, have a bowl on the side, and people can just drop their business cards, and that you can have a monthly draw for a free bottle of wine with a meal or something. You know, because right. they get the free bottle of wine, but they come in and buy the meal, which is um, which means they they do come back and spend money. Yeah, and then they've given you permission to communicate back with them. Exactly. Great. Um, let's move on to the training courses. Wh which was the first training course that you developed, online training course? 
funnily enough, it was a, I'm very data and analytically driven, and it was an analysis of the Udemy marketplace. And this is back in the middle of 2013. And nobody had, at that point, nobody had written courses about how to write courses. But I was trying to understand what the audience was on Udemy. So actually, I, I basically scraped the whole site and created a database of everything on Udemy. And so then created a course which enabled everybody else to see what was on Udemy because the, the search function was, was um, and it still isn't brilliant, but it was, it was even less developed in those days. So that was, my, that was my first course, which I called a strategic review of Udemy. Of course, I wasn't really solving a pain or a problem there, but I was enjoying myself enormously. <laughs> but I, but I, still, I still have that Udemy directory, which I still sell. Today, it's got 26 thousand courses in um then i think the first one had four thousand can you share a highlight or two of the insights that that database gives you yeah it showed me that it showed me which courses were doing particularly well which i could tell from the numbers of courses in a particular group and at that stage i made up my own subcategories because there were none and then you udemy made my life difficult by about nine months later they brought their own subcategories in so i had to change everything again but i could see you know where where the popular courses were i could see that the tech courses were doing very well unfortunately i can't code well i can't code to the level of being able to teach anybody coding so i couldn't do that but it did help me to understand you know where it was going so i discovered that you know writing courses on mergers and acquisitions was a lot less lucrative than writing courses on marketing mm, okay what do you think makes a good online training course whether it's on udemy or whatever platform what are the essentials well specifically it solves a pain or a problem it has that is the core thing you've got to come back to again and again and again it actually does you know somebody comes to it because they want to buy it because they've got a problem and you can solve it for them you, they've got an itch they can't scratch it but you can scratch it for them um then you want to have a course that's not too long so i try to make courses now i mean yes if you're doing um the coding course for ios 10 then that's going to have to be as long as it's going to have to be and it's probably 30 hours but uh, otherwise if you're solving somebody's problem hour to two hours try to keep your lectures short three to six minutes because it's so difficult to sit and watch and, and try and absorb information from a 20 minute video and it's very hard work try to mix up the content type so I put in lots of extra downloadable documents I, I'm not a great fan of quizzes I think they can be a bit silly sometimes but they do add a bit of fun to the um, to the course experience um, definitely try to vary the style of your videos make sure that your uh, audio reproduction qualities are very high there's nothing worse than listening to a bad audio uh, on a video so if there's background noise or the person just talks to you like they're about to fall asleep <laughs> and that'll put you asleep as well so lots of tips there but it's uh, the, the 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 main thing i would i would go at is just make sure that the whole objective of your course solves somebody's problem yeah, great advice. And so I'm about to buy one of your courses because I'm going or I've been in the process of developing a course myself. So but I want your advice. Should I go with the your Udemy course master class advanced? Is that uh, where you would recommend I go? with? I, I think if, if you're completely new to Udemy, then go and have a look at the beginner's guide, because it does give you the overview of Udemy. Um, but it is for absolute beginners, then I would start with the intermediate one. Um, and that is, um, uh, that is, that'll give you a lot of detailed material. I mean, it's about an 18 hour course, I think altogether. Uh, there's a lot of material in that. And then the advanced one really, uh, is the gilding on the cake and, and throws in lots more tips, tricks and tactics. Uh, but I would, I would, if you, if you've got some idea about online courses, start with the intermediate course. Okay. Start there. And then, and then if I want to do get more if i do the advance it'll give me even more knowledge so they do yeah. work in succession they do indeed okay perfect great yeah. advice i'll be doing yeah. that later too. i only split them up because otherwise it would be a 40-hour course which is just ridiculous right which goes um, back to your point about yeah. being too long then yeah but but each each of the courses are break broken up into sections and you can actually each section is very manageable and you can actually jump around the sections if you want i did consolidate about four other little courses into those two courses just because i didn't think it was fair to the students to have to buy the extra material was actually you know it would made more sense to 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 package it all together so it was all in one place 
All right, and so for our listeners who we might have lost here a little bit, we're talking about courses on this platform called Udemy, for those of you who are not familiar with it. It's a fantastic platform that offers how many different courses now, John? There are, I think it's 16 or 17 categories, 140-something subcategories. Um, the last directory run that I did of courses in the marketplace was something in the order of 25,000. I've got links to a few more than that, but because I've got historic links and, and courses are taken private or are, are pulled down or whatever, so th things do change. But it's it's but roughly speaking about 25,000 live, live courses at the moment. And what's your thought for a small business owner, also the way you've used it, but how a small business owner could use a course on Udemy to help them grow their business? I, I think being passionate about lifelong learning, I think no business owner or an entrepreneur should regard themselves as having learned everything they need to know. And therefore, um, if there's a topic that they uh, feel they need to find out something about, I'll give you an example. I was looking at Shopify recently because I thought I might um, put some of my uh, first edition books on Shopify. Well, you know, rather than go and try and work it all out, and Shopify has got great help and, and I'm a great fan of Shopify, I'm sure there are courses on Udemy where I can get myself up to speed really quickly by spending a few dollars and buying a course, you know. And the thing to do there is to go and compare a number of courses, look at their ratings, have a look at the content, you know, have a look at the instructor, get a feel, try a few of the free preview courses and try and pick out the the, the best ones. But there's the, for, for the entrepreneur, there is so much there to learn that it's um, it's really worthwhile. It, it's also, I mean, this, this, this interview isn't necessarily um, Udemy-centric. You can also take a look at Skillshare, which is a very fast, I've got some of my courses on Skillshare as well. The Skillshare model is different. Udemy, you buy each course at a time. Skillshare, you pay, I think it's $19 a month and um, can basically uh, take as many courses as you want. And the the Skillshare is growing very rapidly. I, I think it's up to about 9,000 courses. The courses there tend to be a bit shorter. They tend to be very skills and problem specific, which is great. Um, so definitely have a look at Skillshare as well. Yeah, so there are various platforms out there, obviously, as you're highlighting. Yeah. But if I flip it though, John, from an entrepreneur now, if I'm going to go create a course, how are you seeing business owners use that either to um, obviously create their or, or develop their expertise, not their expertise, their um, reputation, right? So to be seen as a an expert or a source of information or as a lead magnet in some cases to bring someone in, oh, I like what this person offered, I learned something, let me go get more, right? So that approach to how small business owners are using courses to build a reputation and to bring in additional business. That's that's a really great point, actually. I mean, one of the things they can do, they they will know what they what product and service they offer. So let me give a couple of examples, one from my own experience and one from a guy called Marcus Sheridan, who sells concrete swimming pools in, I think it's Maryland type area. And he he created actually an ebook, but the, the same principles apply. So if you could mm -hmm. put together all the questions that your customers ask about your product and service and turn it into a free little course, uh, which people could could you know access and download. It can go on Udemy. Free courses are fine on Udemy, but you can put it on your own website. Um, then you know you can refer people to that course when they want to know a bit more about your product and service. Um, I've been doing some work on selling companies, but I I wanted to not just do a course on how to sell a company, but I I've just created a little course on how to maximize the value of your company when you come to sell it. So there's a problem there. You know, I want to sell my company, I want to, go, I want to get as much as I can for it. And so I, it hasn't been published yet, but I put together a, um, about a one and a half hour course going through all the things I think people should be doing to maximize their the, the return on their business. And that particularly means starting planning it before you just turn up to sell your business. So that I'm I've created because I want to share it with people so that they can get a flavor that I actually know something about helping them sell their business. Yeah. So if you if you can if you can showcase your skills or your products and your services um, through a short course, which solves a problem for your customer, but doesn't solve the whole problem because you still want them to come and buy something from you, then you you can establish yourself uh, in their eyes as an expert, as an uh, an authority. And that will mean that they're much more likely to trust you. And if they trust you, then they'll buy from you. Yeah, fantastic. Two great examples. One from a, 
a very traditional type business and then in your business where you're selling more yeah. uh, an informational type product but, that applies but, either way. De definitely check out Marcus Sheridan, the, the sales line, I think. He, he's very prolific online and, and he certainly is, is as a case study on how to improve the sales of your business. He's well worth taking a look at. Fantastic. All, and all and I, I'm, I'm not getting commission on concrete swimming pools <laughs> in Maryland. <laughs> yeah, nor am I, but we will have a link to that. For those of you who didn't get to make the note of that, we'll be in the show notes page at the How of Business. So, John, what, what do you see as the future of online training, and, and what do you see that you're most excited about? I think it's only going to explode. Um, I, am, I mean, I think we're at the early days of it. Um, Udemy, uh, I think they, they claim to have, a, to have about 11 million students. Um, I'm convinced that, that they will sell their business at some point to one of the big players. They're venture capital backed, so that's almost an inevitability. Uh, Lynda.com was bought by uh, LinkedIn, which is now being bought by Microsoft. And that is going to be very exciting to see how Microsoft feeds through the Lynda courses into their very extensive you know, customer base. Uh, when, you know, if uh, Udemy is sold to a Facebook or to a, a Google or whatever, and instead of having 10 million people on the platform, suddenly you can have you know a billion people on the platform. Then this information is just going to be you know even further and even more widely uh, made available and and shared, which I think is is just mind blowing. Yeah, great insights. Thanks for sharing that. So I want to take a little bit more personal turn now. And a question I always ask is, what do you think your keys have been to your personal and business success? We've talked about some of that, your your passion for learning and teaching. But what else in addition to that stands out, do you think, as to why you've been successful in your life? And, and everybody defines success differently. But the way you define it, what have been some of those keys? Yeah, well, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm extremely fortunate to, um, to have the lifestyle I have. Um, you know, I'm not a multimillionaire. I probably never will be, but I'm, uh, you know, extremely content with my life and I have a, a very wonderful quality of life and I'm very blessed. So, you know, it's, what, how would I describe this? Um, key to success. I think things, things, fundamental things like, you know, treat people decently, um, integrity, honesty, uh, I think the the minute you cross boundaries and compromise, you know you're you're basically burning yourself out. And so I think if you if you you know yeah don't don't be taken for a fool, but nonetheless um, you know treat people and give before you receive. And and I think if you if you take that approach, then you know you'll you'll earn far more back in ways you will never even be able to quantify. Uh, because, um, you know, people will share you with other, their, their friends because they'll say, look, you've got to talk to, to John or to Henry because he's such a good guy. He's really helpful to me. And the whole thing, the whole thing snowballs like that. So, you know, just just go back to good old fashioned, um, dare I say it, Christian, but it could equally well be Muslim or Hindu or Buddhist principles where, you know, fundamentally we all want to treat people and we all want to be treated you know decently as as, as human beings and with generosity and, and honesty and if you do that then i think um you'll go an awful long way um just on the strength of that mm -hmm. is that something you think was instilled in you and your character growing up obviously through your early days where did that mostly I, I, get influenced I, yeah i think the army has a very strong sense of of ethical behavior um i know the the American army does as well as the British army. Um, and the, the concept that uh, you look after your soldiers and the officers above you look after you, um, you know, is a fundamental principle. So don't worry about yourself. Look after the people who rely on you and you can rely on the people above you. Um, now, that doesn't work particularly well in, in the cut and thrust of business. But I do find if you um, treat people um, far better than they're expecting to be treated, then it does come around and uh, pay you back in uh, in the long term. And, and fortunately, we get to a point in life where we can choose more the people that we do associate with, whether in partnership or in business. And so you do have more of that. Well, I mean, the flip side of that is never take on a customer just because you need the money. Never compromise on the quality of a customer just because you need the money. 
Uh, far better to turn that customer away. They'll be more, you know, they can damage your business. They'll be very difficult to deal with and all the rest of it. Uh, and I've made that mistake several times where I've taken on a customer because I've, I've just thought that the deal was, you know, the, the, the numbers on the deal were too good to turn around and I've regretted it. So now I'm I'm extremely, you know, careful about who I will, who I do business with. But you know, that doesn't mean to say you don't treat them well. Same applies to a partner or an investor. Is that right? Indeed. Oh, and particularly if you're going to be very closely working with them. Yeah, d- 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 doubly so. So one of the things I, that highlights for me here that is common when I speak to people like yourself is intellectual curiosity. You've always had that and that drives you, I sense, I sense and I think is obvious. Oh, I, I love learning. I absolutely love learning. I, and I, but I can disappear down so many rabbit holes. <laughs> That's the like, challenge, right? Something comes up, and you think, "Oh, I've got to find out more about that." You know, yeah, I absolutely adore it. And um, and and don't ever lose that curiosity. I mean, always be learning because uh, your life is so much richer for it. So how, but how do you balance that then, John? How do you keep yourself from going down that extreme path, and it takes away from what you really need to be working on today? With a with a great deal of difficulty, but one of the I mean, I, I love podcasts particularly because you can learn so much from podcasts while you're doing other things. So I was I was out running this morning, and you know, I mean, I'm 55. I've got to keep going, and I didn't go very fast, and I didn't go very far, but I, I went out. But I listened to a podcast while I was out, and so I learned something while I was out running. You know, and um, so you know, you find the opportunities and the times to to do it. You know, and so. There's always time to to find ways to to continue your education and and your learning. But yes, every day you have things you have to get done and they've got to get done and and you've got to try to focus on those and not to get too distracted by, you know, social media and Facebook and all sorts of other things which you could disappear down. Yeah, it's a challenge. All right, so speaking Mm -hmm. of podcasts, I'm a big fan of yours, especially the online learning podcast. In particular, as I think I've said to you before, Online Learning Podcast 101 was, I've listened to it various times and took notes and has been great just as a starter on developing a Udemy course. So thanks for that. But tell me where you're at with your podcast, because I know you've experimented with it. You've had a couple of different iterations of it, if you will. So where are you these days with the podcast? I'm, I'm a bit behind the curve with it, to be absolutely honest, because um, I we, we spent a certain amount of time in Menorca in the summer, and I wasn't podcasting then. I've got three or four episodes in the can, um, but since I've got back from Menorca at the uh, beginning of September, I've been pulled more and more into um, the investment banking side of my life. And uh, so I certainly will continue to podcast. I absolutely love podcasting. Uh, just at the minute, there is a bit of a hiatus. So anybody who's a, a fan of the podcast, I apologize for that. But there there are only so many hours in the day. And and it comes back to trying to do stuff which is scalable. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. podcast is is really is really great, and it, it's wonderful for building reputation and authority, and for building a community, and and for sharing stuff and meeting amazing people. But it it it, it has a time cost, and at the moment, my time is really short. Right, but it is coming back. Uh, any? Do you know yet where you're going to take it next? Um, I I don't I don't know to be absolutely honest as to whether I'll keep it um, on the. The, the courses side of it, or whether I'm going to take it in, or you know, evolve it into a completely different direction, maybe around more entrepreneurship stuff. Or I, I just, I just don't know at the moment because I, I'm just waiting to see how how the balance I'm, you know, I'm going to have between the advisory work and the and the courses work. Understood. And for our listener, this is being recorded in October of 2016. So. By the time you listen to this, this might have changed. The easiest way is to go to iTunes and search John Colley, or there'll be a link also on the show notes page at the How of Business. And you can go to his back catalog. Trust me, it's it's all worth listening to. All right, very good. We'll start to wrap it up. Um, but before I ask you for a book recommendation, I asked you a version of this at the outset. What are you most excited about? Sounds like somebody got hit there. Yeah, so no, my my um, my wife's just bought, <laughs> just taken Henry for a walk. Ah, there so you he's, go. He's, he's come back. If we were on video, you'd see a panting border collie sitting on my left, and I'm <laughs> scratching his head. But my, my wife just brought him into my study door, so apologies for the, the bang in the background. No I think worries. there was one earlier as well. No worries. You know, he hasn't started barking yet, which is good. There you go. <laughs> Uh, so the question is, what are you doing these days that excites you the most? I think just business is so exciting. It, it, there's not there's not one thing. I love doing deals. 
I love doing the online education and courses. So, you know, and I, I, I love, love teaching and education. It's, it's difficult to, um, to, to pin anything down, you know, but, um, you know, I mean, I think if I if I had to put one thing down, I think it would still be doing uh, international cross border deals is uh, is is really buzzy. You meet all sorts of amazing people, you deal with amazing um, business people and entrepreneurs, and uh, that that is still really really exciting. So that, I still enjoy that, but but that's where I get all the the material and the experience that I share in my courses. So you know, one leads to the other. Yeah, fantastic. All right. Is there a book that you would recommend? I know you're obviously a big reader, but is there one that stands out uh, recently that you would recommend to our listeners? One I went back to in the summer, actually, and reread cover to cover and made lots of notes uh, is something that I think a lot of your your audience will will find enjoyable. And this is a book called The Personal MBA uh, by Josh Kaufman. The secondary title is A World-Class Business Education in a Single Volume. And it really is. It's dead easy to read because it's broken up into lots of short segments. But there's a mass of material in this. He must have spent an awfully long time putting it through. It's. I'm just looking at it now. It's 400, nearly 450 pages in a paperback. And uh, it's not, it isn't really a, a replacement for an MBA education. But what it does do is it gives you a lot of frameworks and a lot of ideas which will help everything else make more sense. And, and therefore, it's uh, something you can read, you know, a couple of um, sections a night. I mean, the sections are literally sometimes a page, a page and a half long. And you just get some really interesting ideas. So I, I, it's, a, it's a most amazing book. I keep it close by, well, you know, all the time. Um, I think it would make a phenomenal online course or several online courses, actually. Maybe Josh should be doing that. Yep. But, um, but it covers everything that an entre- all sorts of things that an entrepreneur will find uh, interesting and, and, you know, maybe some things they haven't even thought of. Wonderful. Thanks for that recommendation. We'll have a link to it on the show notes page at thehowofbusiness.com. John, a final parting piece of advice for our listeners. I think um, whatever it is, just go and do it. Don't wait for it to be perfect. Don't wait for it to uh, the time to be right. If you've got an idea, then um, however ill-formed it is, if you don't start, it'll never happen. And and so often I, you know, uh, hear people say, "Oh well, I, I just, you know, I thought about this years ago. I just wish I'd started it then." You know, don't ever put yourself in that situation. I think it was one of the the, the, the Silicon Valley entrepreneurs said that if uh, if you when you launch your product, it's perfect. You've launched too late. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, so just just get out there and um, do it, and you will amaze yourself what you can achieve. Yeah, wonderful advice. Love that. And where would you like our listeners to go online to find out more about you and your offerings? You can definitely find out a lot about me at my website, which is jbdcolley.com. I should have made it an easier one to do than that, but those are my initials, julietbravodeltacolley.com. Um, I'm on Twitter at jbdcolley. I'm on Facebook. Um, and if anybody wants to reach out to me with a question or anything, you can just email me, john at jbdcolley.com. Uh, make sure you reference uh, Henry's show so I know where the questions come from, and I'll do my best to, to give you an answer or point you in a direction. Um, I, won't, I won't sell you, I promise. I just, just try and help. Yeah, and you really will. Uh, that's been my experience. Well, John, this has been incredibly interesting, uh, enlightening, educational, fun. Thanks for taking the time to be with us today. I'm, no, I've been honoured, really, um, and um, I, I'm sure that um, I could learn so much from your audience because I'm sure they are uh, an amazing collection of entrepreneurs, you know, male and female, internationally. So they are amazing people out there doing amazing things. So I've been feel myself very blessed and very honoured. Thank you for giving me this opportunity to um, to to be with them, even for a short period of time. Our great pleasure. Folks, this is Henry Lopez. You've been listening to another episode of The How of Business. If you're listening to us on iTunes or Stitcher, we would welcome and thank you for subscribing to our show. We look forward to having you join us on the next episode of The How of Business. Thank you for listening to The How of Business with David Begin and Henry Lopez. We hope you found practical ideas to help you start, manage, and grow your business. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave a comment on iTunes and go by LevanteBusinessGroup.com and learn more about Levante's resources to help you with your small business. Until next time, thanks for listening 
and go live your dream.